This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Quote, When you hate, you generate a reciprocal hate. When individuals hate each other, the harm is finite. But when great groups of nations hate each other, the harm may be infinite and absolute. Do not fall back upon the thought that those whom you hate deserve to be hated. I do not know whether anybody deserves to be hated, but I do know that hatred of those whom we believe to be evil is not what will redeem mankind. End quote. And those are the words of British mathematician, philosopher, and intellectual Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell was born May 18, 1872, in Trellish, Wales, and died February 2, 1970, and I'm going to attempt to pronounce the name of this town in Wales, and if you're Welsh, I apologize in advance for my terrible pronunciation, but the town was Penry Dudraith, at the age of 97 years old. And Russell married four times in his life and fathered three children, John, Kate, and Conrad. And he is one of those people who lived during what I consider to be one of the most interesting periods of change in world history. Consider that he was born just after the end of the American Civil War, so he saw the United States struggle to implement and maintain the abolishment of of slavery. He saw the turn of the century, the advent of automobiles, airplanes, and electricity. He saw the sinking of the Titanic, both world wars, the development of nuclear weapons, of submarines. He was alive at the beginning of the Cold War and even through the beginning of the war in Vietnam, before he died. Now imagine being born in an age of oil lamps and carriages and dying in the age of DARPA and transatlantic air travel. Quite the life indeed. Russell was a noted and outspoken pacifist, and this was quite unpopular in Britain during what was, and those of us that are Americans often forget this, an existential crisis for them in back-to-back wars. He published and spoke at length about his anti-war attitude. You see, Russell was, in addition to all his other pursuits, a logician. Not a magician, a logician. Logicians focus, unsurprisingly, on logic or correct reasoning. Using tools like inference, deduction, and critical thinking, they arrive at logical truths. It was this methodology that he used to arrive at his anti-war pacifist conclusions. Conclusions he stuck to in spite of criticism and imprisonment, which we'll come back to in a moment here, And interestingly, it was also the same methodology that he used to arrive at the conclusion that war with Hitler, when it came, was actually the lesser of two evils. The alternative being the destruction of numerous nations and the death of an entire people group due to inaction. At some point, even his pacifism fell apart from a logical perspective. And this, of course, was in direct contradiction to his default pacifist ideology. And it serves to highlight the mental flexibility resident in the man. And I think that's less a criticism, or the flip-flop, so to speak, as some might call it, and much more of an admirable trait. We've talked about doubling down on bad ideas in the past and inquiring and challenging our beliefs. Well, that's what Russell did. And as I mentioned, he faced heavy criticism from the British and global communities for his anti-war writings and speeches. Certainly, like there always are, there were supporters, but many people disagreed with him in this case. They saw pacifism as weakness. And weakness in the face of the strength of Hitler and his army was seen as a surefire way to lose the war. 
1914, the British government passed a law called the Defense of the Realm Act, or DORA. DORA gave the British government extensive powers to support the prosecution of the First World War. It allowed for things like requisitioning of property and buildings, and the creation of criminal offenses, including, concerningly, some strongly authoritarian regulations, including censorship and freedom-restricting rules, some of which were necessary, don't get me wrong, the requirement for blackout curtains at night, and curfews and light discipline were all things to help prevent cities from being bombed at night by aircraft because they could see lights on the ground. But others, however, were more difficult to justify. For example, they restricted the hours that bars could be open, and discussing military matters in general, and censorship of letters from the front by soldiers back to their families and friends, and buying binoculars. All of which kind of make you cock your head a little bit to the side. You can squint and see how they might be important rules. For example, not being able to buy binoculars may help stem the capacity for a spy, let's say, to observe at a distance troop formations or airfields, etc. So you can see it, but this is a very slippery slope, as are most of these wartime acts that get passed in nations that are involved in a conflict. The United States has seen this too, and this is just an example of that, but from way back in the early 20th century. And it was actually for a violation of a Dora criminal offense in 1916 that Russell was fined. And Russell, being the principled man that he was, refused to pay his fine, and that landed him in jail for six months. Russell's crime, you might ask? Writings which, quote, the authorities, and I'm making air quotes here with my fingers, deemed subversive. That's strange, isn't it, that during a war against an authoritarian power, that a pillar of freedom such as Britain would jail a writer because his works didn't agree with the party line. It makes you think, doesn't it? Bertrand was jailed again decades later at the age of 89 for participating in an anti-nuclear demonstration. He was offered, interestingly, presumably because of his name and advanced age, the opportunity to be exempted from jail if he would agree to good behavior. Russell famously responded, quote, no, I won't, end quote. Clearly, this is a man of principle and logic. Russell stood by what he said unto the point of punitive repercussions. And today's quote comes from a book Russell published in 1954, after the World War and into the Cold War now, called Human Society and Ethics and Politics. And you can find this online in PDF form or take it from your local library. I'm not sure if there's an audio book, but if there is, it's probably worth a listen. The sections of it that I read as research for this episode proved to be very interesting and thought-provoking. The title of the chapter in question today is Scientific Technique and the Future. One of the central tenets of the chapter is that as scientific understanding and techniques advance, so too must the wisdom of those who use that science. Or, if they don't, as Russell puts it, it could, quote, result in the extermination of man, end quote. Now, this sounds particularly doom and gloom, right? But remember that this book was published in 1954. 1945 saw the dropping of the first two atomic weapons on a, an adversary, and there were those at this time that considered a nuclear weapon to just be a much larger version of a regular weapon, and therefore to be employed when such a tactical situation might require. Who among those in power thought that at the time? I don't know, a little someone named Dwight Eisenhower, who's notably quoted as having said, 
that they're just really big bombs. Why would we not use them like really big bombs? So Russell is very concerned here at this time in American history and in world history, really, about the use of things like nuclear weapons that could, in fact, result in the extermination of man. And in this particular section of the book, he is decrying political hatred specifically. Remember, this was written and published less than a decade after the end of the most damaging war in world history. The United States and the USSR were locked in the throes of a Cold War, and, as they always have, politicians were at each other's throats in pursuit of power and control. And as Russell points out, doing well for oneself is insufficient if it is not paired with doing well for others. And specifically, regarding hate in the political arena, Russell says today's quote, and here it is again, quote, When you hate, you generate a reciprocal hate. When individuals hate each other, the harm is finite. But when groups of nations hate each other, the harm may be infinite and absolute. Do not fall back upon the thought that those whom you hate deserve to be hated. I do not know whether anybody deserves to be hated, but I do know that hatred of those whom we believe to be evil is not what will redeem mankind. End quote. And I bring this quote to you today for two reasons. The first is that it came as a recommendation from a good friend of mine, Mr. Kenny Brown. Kenny, as you may recall, was a guest on the show way back in episode 41, and it was a great conversation, I might add. I recommend you give it a listen after this one, of course. And I've been meaning to do an episode about Russell for some time because he is such a good writer and speaker. And this was just the kick in the pants that I needed. So, Kenny, I know you're listening. Thank you for that. Secondly, it's a new year, and I think we'd all agree that it seems, at least to my largely uneducated self, that hatred, political or otherwise, seems to be all around us, and has been for some time now. And it's a new year, and with it comes the opportunity and motivation to start anew. To be fair, we can and should seize on any arbitrary occasion to begin anew. Perhaps, I'd argue, even daily. But this is an opportunity for us to do yet another round of self-examination and consider the way we feel about certain people. And Russell draws an important distinction between what I'll call individual hate versus group hate. And we all have people we dislike, some more strongly than others. There's probably somebody or some people who immediately jumped to your mind when I made that statement. And that's okay. That hatred, mild or otherwise, while not to be sought after, is largely harmless outside of its immediate area of impact. Sure, hatred can drive you into a very bad place. It can impact those around you, but the effects are relatively minimal. The impact area, to use a military term, I suppose, is relatively small. And don't get me wrong, Russell's quote here is not advocating for any kind of hatred, but he, what he is doing is he's drawing a comparison between individual to individual or a small group of individuals to other small groups of individuals versus larger international geopolitical hatred. Group hatred between, say, political parties or two nations or more. Now that is the stuff of nightmares, right? It's the kind of hatred that fueled both the world wars, especially the second. One man's hatred and vitriol against Jews and, quote, undesirables led to what can only be described as a catastrophic loss of life for millions of combatants and non-combatants alike. And this is the type of hatred Russell cautions us to avoid. And he warns us against the self-reinforcing thinking that, quote, we hate them because they deserve to be hated. You may have heard that. You may have heard people say that recently. You may have seen that posted online. 
we hate because those people deserve to be hated. And that, I would argue, is a fool's position of justification. Take, for example, the hatred between the American Democratic and Republican parties, both sides strongly entrenched in their positions, hurling insults and accusations at one another, each feeling justified in their hatred of the other. Now, it's completely reasonable to disagree on fiscal and social issues. In fact, I'd encourage it. It's part of how we arrive at the best solution to our most challenging problems. The issue arises when that disagreement turns to hatred. Violence often follows, as we've seen in the headlines for years now. All because, fundamentally, people disagree on the past, present, and future of this country. And if you're listening outside of the United States, you've probably seen this and experienced something very similar in your own country. Imagine being so vehement in your beliefs that you're willing to harm or kill someone who disagrees. That is simply, to put it in Russell's terms, not logical or morally correct. That's why Russell was so adamant against it in his writings on this. Because at the end of the day, both parties, and on a larger scale, two nations, three nations, however many, want the same thing. They want lives of prosperity, of happiness, and of safety. The point of departure is on the methods to achieve that. As I've said before, we all have hopes and dreams and fears. We are human. Acknowledging and recognizing that in our, quote, opponents is how we arrive at empathy. From empathy, we gain understanding, and from understanding, we can achieve peaceful coexistence. As Russell so eloquently closes his quote, if we desire to, quote, redeem mankind, then hatred is absolutely not how we achieve that. Thus, as usual, we take a charge from today's quote. It's the new year, the fourth calendar year of this podcast, in fact. And regardless of your social, political, national, or fiscal positions, those that disagree with us are indeed human beings. They want to be happy and healthy. Recognize that. Acknowledge that. Use it as a bridge to build empathy, to try to see where your disagreements depart humanity. We don't have to agree to coexist. We don't have to align on all topics to recognize our shared humanity. Remember, as I said, there's a chain here. Acknowledging and recognizing that the people with whom we disagree are humans with the same desires, fears, and dreams that we have, or some form thereof, can bring us to empathy. Empathy is the bridge between us and those with whom we disagree that leads to understanding. And from that understanding, we can learn to peacefully coexist. So, it's the beginning of 2023. Let us consider whom we hate. Hopefully, it's no one. But if it is, interrogate that feeling. Test it. Internalize the admonition from one of the premier thinkers of the 19th and 20th century, Bertrand Russell. Put simply, don't hate, because it's not how we, as mankind, will be redeemed. And before I sign off, I'm wishing you and yours the happiest of new years in 2023. As I always do, I hope this year is better than the last. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe, this is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app, or visit me at quotationspod.com download and listen. Please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. 
you can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you, welcome your feedback, and thanks as always for listening.